Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. A reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what's right for you. Any general tax information provided is provided as a guide only. And with that out of the way, here's Shane. G'day everyone. Welcome to the latest issue of the Oliver's Insights podcast series. Today, we're going to have a look at a bunch of issues, particularly the rise in bond yields that we've seen this year, what that means for share markets, along with the risks posed by the war on Israel, and specifically take a look at comparisons to 1987 and the crash that occurred that year. In the fourth year of my career in investment markets, the share market crashed. In one day, US shares fell 20% and the day after, Australian shares fell 25%. From the months just before to the months just after, US shares had a total 35% fall and Australian shares had a total fall of 50%. So over the space of a few months, $1,000 invested in the Australian share market had fallen in value to $500. Of course, that would have only been realised if the individual had sold their shares at the low point. Some, in fact, lost their fortune in that crash, including an older friend of mine because he wasn't diversified enough. In fact, I think he had a big chunk of his money in just one entrepreneurial stock at the time and he had to come out of retirement and go back to work. The 1987 share market crash with the one-day falls on 19th of October in the US and 20th of October in Australia, and the peak being in August, September 1987, has become a part of share market history, along with the events like the 1929 crash, the 1973-74 plunge, and the GFC. But each October, or starting in August, many, including me, have a certain apprehension about markets. This year has been no exception, with US, global, and Australian shares having had falls of around 8% to their recent lows from their highs in July, and some citing parallels to 19. So why are the concern about this now? What's the risk of a rerun of the 87 crash? Does the surge in oil prices and the conflict in Israel add to these risks? So I guess one of the big factors to, to start from in terms of this discussion is what's happened to bond yields. We thought this year would be okay for shares as inflation would likely fall and recession would likely be avoided, although it was a high risk. So far, so good, although Australian shares have been relatively poor. But the big surprise has been a resumption of the rise in bond yields from April, which has taken Australian bond yields to their highest since 2011 and US bond yields to their highest since 2007. This has been mainly due to stronger than expected economic activity, keeping interest rate expectations elevated with the Fed and other central banks flagging that they will keep interest rates high for longer, along with the deterioration in the US fiscal situation and increased bond issuance over there, along with Japan relaxing its limits on bond yields. Now the backup in bond yields this year, being based more on stronger than expected growth and hopes of a soft landing, is certainly less threatening for shares than was the rise in bond yields into last year, which was more driven by rising inflation. But it's still putting big pressure on share market valuations, as highlighted by deterioration in the risk premium that shares offer over bonds. This can be proxied by the earnings yield on shares using 12-month ahead consensus earnings expectations divided by share prices, less the 10-year bond yield. That gap has fallen to its lowest in over 20 years in the US and Australia to its lowest since 2010. Feeding into the mix are another bunch of concerns including the still high risk of recession in the US, sluggish growth in China, messy US politics, with of course the removal of the House Speaker, and then of course a surge in oil prices on the back of production cuts by Saudi Arabia and Russia, and of course fears that this will be made worse by the war in Israel. So far, shares have been relatively resilient. However, 
the risk of a further weakness remains. Naturally, in times of uncertainty, it's tempting to look at past periods of major market falls. The GFC, which saw 50% or so falls, is still fresh, but there has been no similar build-up in risk in debt markets as there was with the US housing and subprime boom into 2007. Similarly, unlike the dot-com tech boom of the late 1990s that led to the tech wreck, again which saw 50% or so falls in global share markets, Australia in fact fared a little bit better through that period, US tech stocks are now making good profits. But some do see parallels with the 1987 share market crash. So what happened in 1987? From 1982, in fact mid-1982 to August-September 1987, global and Australian shares experienced a powerful bull market. This came on the back of recovery from the early 1980s recession and optimism about the economic deregulation and reform of the 1980s and a re-rating of shares on the back of the move to lower inflation. This was a period of high optimism. By 1987, this had become very speculative and debt fueled, with Australian shares nearly doubling in value over the year to their September 1987 high point on the back of strong gains, particularly in so-called entrepreneurial stocks. Some may recall Bond Corporation or Quintex. Shares peaked in August-September 1987 and after a gradual drift lower, plunged on 19th and 20th of October, resulting in an ultimate top-to-bottom fall of 35% in US shares and 50% in Australian shares. In fact, it took the US share market just over two years to rise above its pre-crash highs, but Australian shares did not get back there until February 1994. And when they did, it was only brief because they then came down again, only to have a go a few a little while later. The precise causes of the 1987 share market crash have been subject to much debate, but the key driver appears to have been a combination of a 3% rise in US inflation, a 2 percentage point rise in US bond yields going into the crash, and Fed tightening hitting investor confidence at a time when shares were already very overvalued after huge gains and investor confidence was unsustainably high. As in the months before the 1987 crash, the Fed has been raising interest rates and bond yields have been moving higher lately. But over the last few months, share markets have drifted down but remain relatively calm as occurred initially after the highs back in August and September 1987. Fortunately, though, there are some big differences compared to 1987. Shares have seen far smaller increases compared to the run-up to the 1987 share market crash. There has been no 1987-style euphoria. For example, I mentioned over the 12 months to the peak in September 1987, Australian shares had risen 88%. Over the past prior four years, they'd risen by 34% per annum. This time around, over the run-up to current levels, Australian shares are up 8.5% over the last 12 months and over the last four years, only up by 1.6% per annum. So big differences. We haven't seen anything near like the gains we saw into the 1987 share market crash. Secondly, forward price-to-earnings ratios are higher than in 1987, particularly in the US, but inflation and bond yields are both lower, such that the gap between forward earnings yields and bond yields is far more attractive today than it was in 1987. And finally, after the 1987 share market crash, circuit breakers were built into the US stock market that closed it down for a short period after a certain fall to help calm investors down. However, while the lack of prior euphoria and more attractive valuations relative to bonds than in 1987 are positive signs, share markets are 
are at risk of a further correction in the short term. The combination of the high risk of recession, uncertainty around the Chinese economy, US politics going from bad to worse with the removal of the House Speaker and the threat posed by higher oil prices and renewed conflict in the Middle East all suggest that the risk premium offered by shares over bonds should be higher than it is now. And as I noted earlier, it's at significant lows compared to what we've seen in the past, or at least in the last 20 years, although it does look far more attractive than was the case in 1987. This in turn implies the risk of more downside in share markets in the near term, unless, of course, bond yields pull back sharply. Investor sentiment has fallen from the optimism seen mid-year when Goldilocks was all the rage, but it's still not yet at the levels often associated with major market bottoms. All of this suggests that the path of least resistance for shares may still be down in the very short term. While valuations for the Australian share market are more attractive than for US shares, it would likely follow any further correction in the US share market. So I guess a big question is whether the situation in Israel will have a big impact on all of this. The situation in Israel is certainly terrible. But the first thing to note is that this is not another rerun of the 1973 Arab-Israeli war that saw many Arab countries against Israel at the time. And OPEC, which of course was dominated by Arab Middle Eastern countries, boycott oil supplies to the US, which then saw oil prices rise fourfold at a time when oil demand was strong, which ultimately contributed to a severe recession in 1974 and into 1975. Today, most Arab countries are are on the sidelines with many having better relations with Israel than was the case 50 years ago. And oil demand is actually weakening in contrast to the situation 50 years ago. However, the main risk would come if Iran, which backs Hamas, is drawn into the conflict which could threaten its oil production. More broadly, the flow of oil through the Strait of Hormuz, through which 20% of world oil consumption flows daily, or even Saudi oil production, as Iran did via various attacks through its proxies in 2019. So far, the market reaction to the conflict has been modest, with shares little affected and oil prices up 4% or so, but still below recent highs. If the conflict stays contained to Israel, the impact, I think, ultimately on global markets and the global economy will be minimal. If not, then expect a bigger flow onto oil and hence petrol prices. But as noted, that would probably require Iran to be brought into the conflict in some Way. Now, of course, let's make a comparison. 18 months ago, when oil prices surged into the Ukraine war, consumers wore higher petrol prices. They didn't like it, but they wore it because they had pent up demand and savings buffers after the lockdowns. People were happy to get out and spend. They didn't want to pay more for petrol, but they did. And monetary policy was easy. And so higher oil prices just added to inflationary pressures at the time. 18 months later, the situation is very different. The reopening boost is behind us. Monetary policy is now tight and household budgets are under severe strain. So the rise in petrol prices is more likely to act as a tax on spending. Our estimate is that the average household weekly fuel bill is already up $12 a week, that is, since May. With stretched household budgets, this means a further hit to consumer spending and less ability for companies to pass on price rises, including from higher transportation costs that may result from higher petrol prices. So my inclination is to think that the consequences of rising oil prices this time around will be less inflationary and more deflationary, adding to the risks of recession and slower growth, which is why central banks need to tread cautiously. Now, of course, there are some big positives looking at the broader picture, and we think that some things should start to help share markets by year end. Seasonality, that refers to the pattern month to month in share markets, will start to become 
become more positive as we go into the year end. You typically see that so-called Santa Claus rally. Inflation is likely to continue to fall, which should take pressure off central banks, allowing them to start easing monetary policy next year. We saw, for example, this week, good news from the National Australia Bank's latest business survey, which showed easing price increases or cost increases pretty much across the board, both labour costs, purchase costs, and also final selling prices. And finally, any recession is likely to be mild given the absence of excessive price spending. We haven't seen a tech spending boom and nor have we seen a housing spending boom coming into this downturn. So ultimately, this is why our 12-month view on shares remains positive, although we are a bit wary about the outlook in the very short term. Just a final epilogue in relation to the 1987 crash. As it turned out, the crash seemed to be get forgotten about pretty quickly in 1988, unless you were an Australian entrepreneur or an investor in one. The US, global and Australian economies did well with little impact from the share crash. And October 1987 now just looks like a blip in long-term share prices. For many, it turned out to be a great buying opportunity. So I hope that's been of value. Until we meet again, adios. To keep up to date with Dr. Oliver and the Simplifying Investing podcast series, be sure to subscribe to your favourite streaming platform.